0: Romans chapter 8, verse number 32. We're getting very familiar with this passage. We're going to hit it today. We're going to hit it next week still. I'm eager to get to the last half of it, but the first half of it is so significant. I don't want to miss it. And we started with it last week. He who did not spare his own son, but but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? We started in on that last week. He did not spare his own son. He delivered him up for us all. Heavenly Father, your word is opened up in front of us again, and, and it's good for us to keep coming back to these words that speak of your act of love and mercy and grace on our behalf. We see them as words, but Lord, they're much more than just words here. This is the giving of your Son, your only begotten, beloved Son, whom you gave for us. And when we study in Scripture what that means, it's overwhelming to think that you love us that much. But that's what it says. And so as we go into our study today, we know, Lord, we're walking into a topic that's far greater than what our mind can conceive and what our heart can encompass. But it is one we want to know, and know it to the best that we can. So once again, Lord, we're dependent on you as we open up your word. We're dependent upon you to teach us and help us to grasp it, that we might use it for your honor and your glory. So thank you for our time now as we spend it in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This uh, past week, I was talking with an individual on the phone who uh, was talking about another individual who was having some difficulty and and got around to the point that, you know, that series in Romans chapter 8 would be very good. They were on our website, and they noticed it, and they said, that would be very good. Uh, for them. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's why we do this. <laughs> we we go through the sermons that we do. I pick them, of course, but the primary reason is because they're good. They're good for us. It's a necessary thing, by the way, in case you're wondering uh, what, what the pastor is to do. Uh, if you just put your finger here and go to Ephesians 4, I'll show you exactly what the pastor is up to. In Ephesians chapter 4, In verse 11 and 12, it it states my, if I want to use this word, my, my job expectation. What I'm called to do. And it says in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, And he, that's speaking of our Lord, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. I, I'm not an apostle or a prophet. and I'm not even an evangelist. I believe the Lord's called me to be a pastor and a teacher. And that the Lord has given to the church. And the reason he gives these individuals to the church in verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints. And should the saints be equipped, they're ready for the work of service. And when the work of service is done, I'm adding to help explain, it builds up the body of Christ. And in that, my task is to equip you so that you will be able to serve, so that this body might be able to grow. I take this as a very important passage. And this week, as I was just enjoying it a little bit more, I was was going through this concept of equipping. And what does that mean? And it's a great little Greek word, kaktarkismos. And you say, well, that doesn't mean much to you, maybe. But it's the idea of completely furnishing something. To completely furnish or to equip is the word that we have in some of our translations here, like the New American Standard Version. One of those definitions that go with that is to make fit. To make fit. Some of you might have started January with a a resolution. This is the year that I'm going to exercise. This is the year that I'm going to get physically fit. Well, the pastor has a job. The pastor has a job to exercise you spiritually. I am your... Exercise trainer in the spiritual realm. I'm here to help you be fit. The other definitions that go with this simple word, to equip, means to repair or to mend. And I think that's a rather interesting term because that makes me a spiritual tailor or a spiritual handyman to help fix things, to to fix, repair, to mend. It also means to fit out. And that's a word we don't use often, but it's the idea of equipping something to supply what it needs in order to do the job. And in that sense, I'm your spiritual supply store. I'm here to help you with the things you need to do the work that you need to do. And the last one, I kind of thought this one was fun. It means to adjust something. That makes me a spiritual chiropractor. Get those bones back where they ought to be, huh? Uh, the idea of adjusting all this. This is the goal, though, to do all those things, to give the tools, to give the skills, to give the resources, to put things in order, that you may be in order. That you may be what you ought to be. And you say, well, doesn't God do that? Yes. Doesn't the Holy Spirit do that? Yes. Doesn't the Bible do that? Yes. And God designed it so. And in his design, he put in people like, people like me and people like we've all now, leaders, teachers, pastors, apostles, prophets, those roles, evangelists, to help this task along in each of our lives. I have people who do this in my life. And it's the job that he's given me to do in our life. And so I don't take this lightly when I see the opportunity to share with you on a Sunday morning something from God's word that will make us what we ought to be, that we can do what we ought to do so that the body is built up. And we want a healthy body, don't we? Isn't that our goal in all? This is the task that we had before us. And so, I, I do choose passages, especially this Romans 8 one. I've always desired to preach through it. But it's for a purpose. And it's so that you know how much God loves you. Because that is a great thing for us to know. That sure does help us in our task, doesn't it? So, here we are in chapter 8 verse number 32 walking through this and, and some of these notes and look I'm just going to take the first five pages right off the top how's that you know why you got those last week this is the rest of the sermon it's all on this side we're talking about the grace of God how big that is that grace is shown to us through his love And when we talked about it last week, I gave you that little uh, statement that people attach, taking grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. Those last two words are verse number 32. Christ's expense. Do we know what it costs to establish this relationship that God has made with us? What he did is amazing. And that's the answer to the big question, does God love me? Does God love me? (coughs) Verse number 31 asks the big question. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and I told you that means since. Since God is for us. Now how do we know he's for us? Well, the rest of the chapter proves it. He's answering the question with a a, a a whole bunch of other questions, but he's answering it with the simple thing in verse thirty two, a simple statement. He did not spare his own son. He did not shield him from what he endured. He did not spare him. That that to me is just Like I told you last week, it's a place where I have to stop and be quiet for a few minutes. He did not spare his son. All of us would shield our children from anything if we could. If we could. Every time my children get in a a vehicle and they travel across the country, which they seem to be doing a lot of that lately, uh, I pray an awful lot as they I travel. I, I think about where are they now and what are they going through, and I'm always watching the weather reports to see if they're going into something or not, and, and it's always a concern on my heart when they travel. This A uh, couple weeks ago, Abby and Daniel were leaving California. They were going up to South Dakota in order to go to Kentucky. Right, they had to stop at the school up there. And... Uh, they have their Suburban, and it's packed completely full of the things that Abby has wanted to have since they got married. It's all been in storage, and now they have a house, so they've filled up the Suburban, and then they went to California to pick up his pickup truck, too, and put it on a trailer, and put it behind the Suburban, and pack that full, and take off. And I thought, wow, that's a big load. That's a big load. And so they travel, and I keep sending text messages, because they're the kind that will say, well, we're going to just keep going until we get there, which is 20-hour drives. And uh, so they stop for naps and here and there. I'm glad for that, but uh, a few days after they got to South Dakota, I'm on their phone with them, and they say, well, we just had one little mishap. We We hit this icy place on the road. And the whole thing swung around and ended up backwards. Up, it wasn't upside down, thankfully, but it was in a ditch. The whole thing. I said, oh. Does the dad want to know that? And then they say, So we're going to leave from here and go all the way to Kentucky. And I said, Whoa, you know, anyway, that that's the kind of thing. You know what that does? as a pyramid. You, if you could, you would spare them everything that would be detrimental. What we read in this text is astounding. He did not spare his son. That son, that well-beloved, that only begotten, precious to him son, he did not spare. That, that to me is, is incredible when I think about that. How he, he was willing to give him to humiliation... To anguish beyond words that we could ever know. The anguish of the cross. I can't fathom that pain. The grief. The grief that came with that. The, The punishment that came with that. The pain. We would add death to that. But add to it probably what was most severe of all of his enduring
1: on our behalf
0: was that he took on our sin. And I can't fathom that to what it is. He took on our sin. The Father did not shield him from that. As a son would cry out to a father and, and ask and plead, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, then let's do it that way. But if there isn't, we'll do it your way. You know the passage, my Lord, this, this cup, this cup, would you let it pass from me? Is it possible? But not as I will, but as you will. It was the Father's will that he drink the cup. That wrath, which, by the way, Jesus knew what that wrath was. <laughs> he knew it. And he took it. I told you last week as we were finishing up that according to Isaiah 53, the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And the Lord was pleased to crush him. Those are astounding words to me. But that was our crushing that he endured. That was our iniquity that fell on him. We should have been forsaken. We should have been punished. We should have been cast out. Those nails belong to us, folks. The spear belonged to us. All of that he took for us, and the Father did not shield him. The Father did not shield him. He did not spare his own son. He was not willing even to spare his own son. Because he loves you. Isn't that remarkable? He loves you. And the only way for him to have a relationship with you and have it last forever is that that issue of sin is dealt with. And his son did that. That's amazing. We call it amazing love, don't we? Amazing love. And while I was thinking about that, even this past week again, a little quote came across my attention from Spurgeon. I love reading Spurgeon things and seeing things like this. And he says this, and I'll read it carefully. You can trace the beginning of human affection. You can easily find the beginning of your love to Christ. That his love to us is a stream's stream whose source is hidden in eternity. Where do you find the place where he started to love you? You'd be hard-pressed to find it. (laughs) Because it is somewhere back in eternity. A little song we used to sing in church when I was growing up. I was in his mind before the world was framed. (laughs) I've thought about that a lot. Really? Was he thinking about me that long ago? I'll tell you, theologically it would have to be true. Because number one, God is omniscient and there's nothing he doesn't know. So he knew of you. That's amazing. Secondly, scripture says that Christ was slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, even before this world was built, in God's plan was for Christ to die. And the reason Christ was to die was because of my sin. And so he knew I was a sinner and I needed to be saved. Was he thinking of me? He's already made the plans before eternity. Before there was even a a casting down of the earth, as they call it sometimes in scripture. He knew. So he did not spare his own son. That's one thing. Let's look at the other side of it. But deliver him over for us all. The first was to shield you from something. The other is to give you over to something. It's one thing to say, well, I, I can't shield him, but maybe he'll make it through. But to actually hand him over to it. To actually commit him to it. That's the action that really does stun, when you think about it. Let me try to express it to you in these words. The word in the Greek is perididomi. It's kind of an interesting word. Didomi is the word to give, and peri means to give alongside. All right, to give alongside. Say, say that. Um, I'll just use this uh, podium here for an illustration. Say that this podium represented. A very evil person with great authority. Right? Extreme authority. They could do what they want. Anytime they want, they could do what they want. If they want to hurt you, they can hurt you. They could mess up your life in just a, a thought, in just a word, just a, a wink, and boom, there, your life is different. Because this person has power. This person has. Uh, all that capability, but this person is thoroughly evil. Nothing this person ever does is for the good of anybody. This person loves to destroy. Now you may be saying, well, that that sounds a lot like Satan, doesn't it? Well, it does. It does. But even more than that. He said, more. there's something more than that? You know, Satan himself is bound by something. It's called sin. You know that's greater. Because he's a creature. Sin is powerful. Sin causes death, doesn't it? Sin is terrible. It's evil. When does sin ever do good? Has it ever done you good? No, it won't. Never will. What did God do? He took his son... Gave him over to what this would do to him. Think about that. Knowing full well how evil sin is. And even the one that's underneath that, Satan himself, and the evil that comes with him. Knowing full well what sin would do. God gave him over to it. He placed him beside it in order to be under its power, in order to be under its authority. Here's some of the words that come with this. And out of all the definitions I could give you, these were the pertinent ones for this morning. You give into the hands of this one to do what they want to do. To give into the hands of this one. Now, if you had a little child, a precious little child, and you had to find a daycare... To put that child in because you had to go to work or such like that. I think you do a little investigation first, don't you? I mean, you say, I I want a good place. I want a loving place. I want a caring place. I want a safe place. I want something good. Because I'm going to walk up to the door and I'm going to take my little precious child and hand it to this person who's going to take care of it throughout the day. We're careful about that. Now, if we knew it had a terrible reputation, if we knew that it had, you know, a history of all these terrible things, and it was known for that, how likely are you to walk up and hand it over, the child over to such a place? Did God know how sinful, evilly sinful this system is? Yes. He gave His Son over to it. That's the word. He put it in the hands of that evil. He gave it over into the power of that evil thing, or evil one. He gave gave his son to the power of that. He delivered him up to the custody of that one. To be judged by that one. To be condemned by that one. To be punished by that one. To be scourged. To be tormented by that one. To be put to death by that one. Isn't that stunning? He committed his son to that. He commended his son to To that. He permitted it. He allowed it. I don't know how many other words to throw in here, but God knew exactly what was going to happen. Exactly what the world would do with His Son. His beloved Son. In Matthew chapter 20, there's a handful of verses here. I'll read it to you. You can follow along. In Matthew chapter 20, This is what Jesus said to his disciples one day and it it really did shake them. But in verse 17, 18, 19 Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem. So he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves and on the way he said to them Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered there's your word The Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock him, to scourge him, to crucify him. And on the third day he will be raised up. The disciples heard those words as they were heading to Jerusalem. How many of you would have said, Hey Lord, let's go to Jericho instead? Sounds a little safer in that neighborhood. But Jesus knew where he was going. He knew what his father had given him over to. He went to die. You know, our world is a is a very strange world, isn't it? I mean the world cries for justice if you heard a seal. If you shoot a bird, that's supposed to be under the under the protection of some group or another. If you force it out of its habitat, it'll, it'll, it'll make you change your plans on your property. We have humane societies for dogs and for cats and people who misuse animals. They're held accountable for that. If you abuse your horses, you could go to jail for such things. It's kind of interesting how this world would clamor for that kind of a justice, and yet it's the same world that called for Jesus to die. It's the same world that though he knew no sin, they wanted him dead. He had never done anything To be a detriment to their society except challenge their pride and deal with their sin. And yet they called for him to die on a cross because he was their biggest threat. Yet that was the only way for him to be our sin. And it had to be if we were ever going to be made the righteousness of God through him. It had to be that way. But it's just astounding to me that this is what the world wanted what it asked for and God knew it and gave his son over to it delivered him up for us all for you he delivered his son up for you he delivered his son up for me does he love you can you doubt it at all when you think of what that means. This is what Matthew Henry wrote many, many, many years ago. He says, when he was to undertake our salvation, the Father was willing to part with him, did not think him too precious to a gift to bestow for the salvation of poor souls. Now we may know that he loves us. He did not consider his son too precious, too precious, to give for you, to give for me. Those two words that we've been looking at here, he did not spare, but delivered him up. Those are powerful words. I've been sharing them with you over and over here on purpose. Because I want you to understand something about the Father's love for you. It is not a fickle love. It is not on again, off again. It is not dependent upon your behavior. Let me say it carefully. You did not earn this, did you? Matter of fact, you were at your absolute worst when it happened. While well, we were yet sinners died for us that's God's demonstration of love and the whole picture is you were lost you walked in the course of this world you were dead in your trespasses and sins you were enemies of God you were under his wrath you were destined to be cast out forever and ever is that ever going to get worse in that scenario? and that's when he showed his love for us now If the Father loves us even while we were absolutely at our worst, now that you know Christ as Savior, now that you've been bought by His blood, (laughs) now that you've been cleansed from your sin, now that you're a child of His, do you honestly think He's going to diminish His love for you? I know the story because I've been there myself. For many years I was told to fear God because you can easily lose his love. I was taught that from when I was the youngest I could remember till I was well into my early 20s. I was convinced that God's love for me was based on a merit system. I had to earn it. I had to maintain it. I had to walk just a certain way with, you know that, that love of his is just going to diminish toward me. I had to keep finding ways to get him to love me. That is a horrible life to live. That is a frustrating life to live, folks. I was one of the most superstitious people you'd ever meet. If I didn't have my devotions in the morning, I thought, I'd better just stay in bed. I'm going to get zapped by lightning, hit by a truck, who knows? But God's going to get me for it. I was sure of that. I read my Bible out of fear of what he might do to me if I didn't read it. Is that a picture of somebody loving you? No. I was so disturbed in my mind with these kind of things. And then when I got to that study of Romans and found out how much God loved me even while I was yet a sinner. Wow! Did that change my heart. There's a feeling. And I'm, I'm not a feeling kind of person. But the feeling of being immersed into the most soothing, the most beautiful, the most incredible love you've ever known. It was like, we say it sometimes in our song, it washed over me. And I said, wow. When I finally grasped, he loved me and it wasn't based on me. It was based on Christ. It's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. And when I read these words, I say it to you and I say it very simpli- simplistically. His love is not fickle. It's not based on whether or not you came on Sunday morning. I'm glad you're here. All right? I believe you should be here. I think that's what Scripture tells us to do. We should not ever, you know, abandon our gathering together. We should do that. There have been all the more when the day approaches. You know the day's approaching. So you need to come out more often if you don't. Because we need the fellowship. We need the strengthening. Yes, we live in an evil day. But God's love is not based on whether or not you showed up for church Sunday morning. God's love is not based on whether or not you memorized the Beatitudes. You say, I don't even know where that's at in the Bible. Well, it's not based on whether or not you've memorized the Beatitudes or the books of the Bible or the kings of Judah. His love's not based on you. Understand? I think I, I'm trying to say something simple. Now, is there things that we do on this side of the cross? Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. But his love is not a fickle love. It's not on again and off again. It is full steam all the time. That's his love for you. It's never diminished one ounce. One degree. It's never changed. It never will. And it doesn't even go stronger. Because it is. You see? It is. It's not going to get stronger than what it is. Because it is. His love is as faithful as He is. And how faithful is He? His love is as strong as He is. And how strong is He? His love is as sincere as He is. And how sincere is he? His love is as giving as he is. And you know the answer to that one too, don't you? I could start going in all kinds of words. He's got an intense, unquenchable, unending love for you. He gave his only son to show you that. To make that possible. He did not spare his own son. But delivered him over for us all. (coughs) This morning I was reading in the book of Hebrews. I want you to go over to Hebrews chapter 2. When I started in on this I said wow this sounds like a sermon. I thought maybe I should go there. I said well I'll just give you the four things. Right, four things I saw in the book of Hebrews chapter number 2 this morning that I thought was beautiful verse number 9 now the context he's comparing Jesus with angels and Jesus far surpasses any angel but in verse 9 of Hebrews 2 but we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels namely Jesus because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor so that, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. I stopped when I read that, and I said, wow. That's what he did, right? That's thing number one, when you consider the death of Christ. He tasted death for everyone. Are you in everyone? Are you in that category? He did this for you tasted death for everyone. Now, does that mean everyone's saved? No. Verse number 10 says, For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. So not everyone's going to receive that. Not everyone's going to believe that. But praise the Lord, I do. And I'm one of His. And that excites me to be able to read this that he is the perfect author of my salvation. But then jump down to verse number 14. A second thing. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. If you liken this podium here to to the devil this morning as I was describing that maybe Jeff's not going to want to sing behind it anymore but uh, if you likened it to this let me show you what that verse just said in the death of Christ he rendered it powerless isn't that wonderful? he's the one that held us captive by our sin accused us before God day and night Christ in his death rendered him powerless. Verse 15, item 3. And what else? He might free those who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery all their lives. He set you free because he was willing to die. I love that. That's what I feel that he did for me. He set me free. And then one more. I see this also in verse 18. And since he himself was tempted in that which he had suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He's come to our aid. I love those passages. That's why I shared this little piece with you here right now. As I was reading that this morning and it just warmed my heart. This death that he was delivered over to, has brought us so many beautiful benefits. So many beautiful things. And and that's why I share it with you. That is to equip you folks so that you will know it so that you can live according to that so that you can share it with somebody else who needs it. That's how we do it. So I share that with you today and pray that it... Challenges you like it challenges me to think what a wonderful love the Father has given to us. What a wonderful love it is. We've only started in the paragraph. It goes on for about eight more verses, and it gets each time it's a step deeper into it, and that's beautiful. I can't wait for next Sunday already. We'll come back and add more to it. Heavenly Father, thank you. For what you have done, thank you for not shielding your son, but delivering him up for us. Thank you for that we We just are in awe, overwhelmed, but I trust we're grateful. I trust, Lord, that these words make their impact in our hearts, that we do not go from here with callousness, that we do not go from here with a misunderstanding of the depth of your love, that we do not go from here with any doubt whatsoever ringing in our mind, trying to tell us that you really don't care, or that you have put us on a merit system to gain this love. So your word is very clear. Now write it in our heart with permanent ink, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.